Hey, listeners. We're just dropping a quick note to let you know that these upcoming episodes are from our mini tour of the South. Southern writers have been so integral to the canon and to our own personal engagement with craft that we would have been remiss not to make a special visit to them. Our next six episodes were recorded in Houston and Atlanta, respectively. We hope that you enjoy our trip to the South as much as we did. Hi, my name is Ajne Dawkins, and I personally will never forgive Snapple for switching to plastic bottles after building their brand on the glass bottle. And my name is Brittany Rogers, and I am thrilled to be stepping into my auntie phase of wearing multiple rings per hand and wearing my acrylics curved just a little bit. <laughs> and you're listening to Verses, the podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. And today we'll be interviewing the phenomenal Joy Priest. And this interview will talk about all kinds of exciting things like car culture, road tripping, and black theory. Yes. Okay, before we get into it, Bess, when you're prepping to go on a long road trip, what sort of things are you downloading to listen to? So here is the thing. It depends. Like, am I with people? Am I not people? If it's me by my lonesome, I'm audiobooks. It's not music. Mm -hmm. It's straight audiobooks. When it either might be an old favorite series or it'll be something new that I've been like waiting and excited to listen to. Either or will do the trick, especially if I need to stay awake. Audiobooks are not fun with people. So unless like we're all listening to the same thing. So with people, it's definitely some kind of joint listening experience so we can karaoke <laughs> the trip. Oh, thinking about you karaoke is sending me back for the record. <laughs> You know, I love a good karaoke. Hearing you say audiobooks actually reminded me of the time that me and Justin drove to Florida. And we picked just like the most drama-filled books to listen to. And low-key, that did. That went. The audiobooks go crazy on a drive. It was like watching an episode of Mari, but listening. <laughs> it was dope. But ordinarily, I'm listening to an album that I can either sing or rap along to, like, for every song so it doesn't even have to be my favorite album it just has to be an album that I could put on and get into from start to finish that's very on brand for you I actually love that I love that so much yes so let's jump right into our interview so we can hear what sort of things Joy engages with during her favorite road trips Joy Priest is the author of Horsepower winner of the Donald Hall Prize for Poetry and the editor of Once a City Said a Louisville Poets Anthology her poems have appeared in Academy of American Poets Poem A Day series, The Atlantic, and Kenyan Review, as well as in commissions for the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston, and the Los Angeles County Museum of Arts. Joy, would you be willing to read us a poem to start us off? Yeah, I have one in mind, and it comes from a quote by Zora Neale Hurston when she says, sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry. It merely astonishes me. How can anyone deny themselves the pleasure of my company? It's beyond me. It's beyond me. In my bed, outside of intimacy, a lover says, sometimes I wonder if black women even want to be women. It's all blues with him. 
stuck in the same stories where the field was the world. Doesn't he know another song? Doesn't he know when he leaves, I will laugh to myself and feel most attractive and peacock around the dignities of poor living? Kind of Blue, my grandfather's favorite album, on repeat. Me, I am not a student of white people. I don't feel that plantation femininity, that genocidal decorum, that lace-tight bodice of gender limit. There are two ways to look at it. You ain't never going to get a man, or a man ain't never going to get you. Either way, girl, it's beyond me. Shit. Alice Coltrane was an Afro harp. Betty Davis, a mind for what could be. First off, <laughs> I just Come realized on. I don't think I've ever heard that quote in full. So the is beyond me is the part that I'm like, oh, that's sending me. That's that's the clincher. That, that's, that's it. That's it right, right there. <laughs> it moves. I could talk about that phrase for 30 minutes, though. <laughs> Listen. Remind me to put a pin in that, the, the concept of womanhood versus what white folks think the concept of womanhood is. But Woo! before we get there, we want to know what's moving you today, Joy. What's moving me right now? The Sun Ra song, Springtime Again. Mm. I'm just, I'm still in spring. I just, I turned that song on. And it's a it's a build. It has like, I don't know, like 12 different instruments in it. Yeah. I'm really moved by I'm reading this. I'm reading Terrence Hayes' book on Etheridge Knight. Okay. And uh, I just read this essay in there. I think the title is like The Craft of Love. And it was a it was a very medicinal essay. I like the way that he talked about how the lover, like as a lovers, but as writers, we create an object of desire. Mm-hmm. And distance ourselves from it in order to to create something around it or to create we create it in order to inspire us. And, you know, I don't know. It's a 22 page essay, but that moved me a lot. It also helped me through some things. And I'm like just in a in a long term sense around like my current manuscript I'm working on. I'm very moved by black surrealism. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I'm struck by that right now. I'm, I'm aspiring to that in my writing right now. Okay, do tell. What about black surrealism is is getting you? Okay, so everybody talk about Afrofuturism, Afro pessimism, which I I like reading about both those things. I like reading into both of those theories, but Afro surrealism just sound cool. And <laughs> I was like, what is that? And it's it sort of, as I read more into it, it sort of gave me language to talk about how Black people deal with time, the metaphysical, and absurdity. And y'all know I'm in the, the PhD school. I'm listening, I'm okay. listening. And I got to, you know, produce some kind of thought project Okay. In, in PhD school, not just poetry. And so y'all ever feel... Like just con- like seeing the continuous media ticker of like violence against black people. Y'all ever had this sensation where you feel like is 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 somebody playing a big trick on us? Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Lasted, you know, four centuries. Yeah. What, what the used hell? to be the show that Ashton Kutcher used to do? Like sometimes it's really like, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to pop yeah. out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where's Ashton? Like, like that kind of surrealism. Yeah. And for me, like, we're living in white realism, but it's surreal for us. Or, dang, there was this phrase I said to my friend, this poet Bernardo Wade. He's just kind of putting stuff out now. I was driving down the road, I think in like Tennessee, we were on the 
the phone and just thinking out loud. And I said, we were kind of formulating together. I just bring him into the space because it was kind of like collaborative thought. I know we love a communal, uh, a communal worker. Mm-hmm. We were, we, so we were sort of riffing and I said, blackness is ontological surrealism, meaning like to live black is to, to be black is to live in the surreal mm. or to be in the surreal. So it's just an experience of absurdity. And I'm trying to get that into the writing and I'm trying to use that absurdity as a, as a kind of style or like a craft approach. I love that. I think I saw somebody tweet the other day and I was trying to see if I could remember who it was. But something about the dissonance that we have to like embody right now to even be able to navigate mental health, at least somewhat intact yeah. through everything that's happening in the world. Like there has to be some slight separation, some slight like gap in time. And so I guess thinking about what you just said paired with the absurdity of the fact that we're really living through all of this mm-hmm. it's interesting it, it, but as as writers who are our our awareness is amplified you know what i'm saying we we sort of willingly expose ourselves to some degree of insanity you know what i mean so it's like part of it's kind of embracing like absurdity black surrealism allows me to embrace that instead of like struggle with it as a kind of terror I'm moved by absurdity. I'm moved by black surrealism. When I say that, I'm thinking of Henry Dumas. I've been reading a lot of Henry Dumas. And I really love his poem in particular, Kef 12, which is on the Poetry Foundation site, by the way. Um, okay, we love a plug. Listen. Yes. Just, you know, I appreciate that poem being accessible. I, I mean, I just got his his collected works, which is curated by Treasure Redmond's father. Eugene Rem, who was close friends with him. I came to your work through your essay about music uh, or through one of your essays about music. You were doing a talk, I think, with Kiesi Lehman. And if I'm not mistaken, you read an excerpt of uh, it was the one about how Southern hip hop raised you. Oh, yeah. I feel most Southern in the hip hop of my adolescence. Yeah. Mm hmm. And you read that essay and I was like, where this girl book at? Let me go on it. <laughs> Let me go and buy that because this is my my pedagogy right here. Yeah. Thank That's you. Awesome. That's awesome. I just looked into her eyes when she said that. <laughs> For those of y'all who are listening, was that say, was an intimate moment. We had a moment. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I see you. I had to pause. I was blushing for a second. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. And I was looking at each other like this. Mm-hmm. I looked away. It was too much for oh me. So I just said, I think something that as a person who also thinks about music, like quite constantly in music informs a lot of my practice. I would love if you talked about how music influences or if music influences like form for you, craft for you, do they pair together? Are they two separate jams? Oh my goodness. How much time do y'all have in the studio? I mean, we, we in the studio. And first of all, we in the, the studio in Houston. There's rappers here. There's a Land Rover outside. <laughs> Somebody was in a bathroom dropping a dookie and <laughs> wasn't no motherfucking hands up. Okay. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> it's where we at. You know what I'm saying? Oh my gosh. Music. Well, first of all, I grew up in black church. I went to performing arts school. I was in the choir. I'm a, if y'all can't hear it, a contralto. Okay. <laughs> you said you trained. I love my contraltos. My Amy Winehouse is Lauren Hill, I guess. One of the thing, one of the ways that music directly is a part of my work is like when I'm really working on a poem, which means like I've already got the poem down on the piece of paper and it's in the craft shop. It's in mm-hmm. the, you know, we at the table. I, I just keep a song. It's like I'll a certain song will hit me and I'll just leave that song on repeat the rest of the day because it matches 
the spirit that I'm in or and that is the and that spirit is the spirit that's informing the poem. So I won't change it because then it can throw things off. And also when I'm sort of how I know like the poem is working or I'm do or I did something right is I'll catch the spirit. Mm. Which so I think a lot of my musical background is probably starts in church. Amen. Amen. You see the smile on my face. Yeah, I'm a PK, so. So am I. Yeah. So am I. Mm -hmm. But I'm ratchet. So Uh, am I. I know, that's right. Say, say, listen. I always say, like, I'm a born again, I'm a born again hood rat. I don't even tell niggas I'm born again. Right, born again hood rat. Because now I'm in PhD school and stuff. When people be like, you know, where you from? Blah, blah, blah. I'm an Eastside girl. I'm a red zone girl. Yeah. That's in Cleveland. No, Detroit. Yes, me from Detroit. You already know. But music is really, it's just all up and through the the new book. Well, I shouldn't call it the book. It's only some it's papers a book? and a binder. But I don't know. Was music in horsepower? I can't remember. A little bit. I, I had to, that book is so old to me, but. I feel like when you were talking about like the, the engines, yeah. music would come up and it definitely mm. came up in sonically. Like the cars and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Cause I just I I spent so much time in cars when I was a teenager. That was something that endeared to me because Detroit is a big car city too. So it yeah, was like I, yeah. was, I think I was telling Ajane when I first read the book that the book is is undeniably southern, but also mm. so black that I'm like mm. this feel like Detroit minus the horses yeah, of course because that Detroit don't have. But I was yeah. like this is such a black book. Yeah, it made me real without being like without signaling exactly to, without. To, the white liberals, I shall say. Y'all Listen. might need to cut that out. I don't know what kind of podcast this is. <laughs> but, you know, people, you know, I don't think people see the book as political or as sometimes not even as black, but it's like, this is this is a black political book for black films, mm-hmm. you know. India. But I I love being, like, I have such an intimate relationship with, with car culture. Louisville's, I realized that moving here to Houston, that Louisville is a car culture city. Mm. It has its own distinct culture. Yeah. Because it's not like the one here. What's Houston car culture like, just out of curiosity? There's different terminology. Like, I forgot what those long spokes they have to come out from the wheel. Interesting. We don't do that in Detroit. Yeah, we don't do that either. It's more about the the car model. It's not even like really flashy paint jobs. It's usually like solid colors, but the interiors is really done up Uh, more so like features of the car. Like we were really into like what kind of engine and and mm, transmission you got. Detroit is about the classics. Yes. Detroit is about the like having something that is restored. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like the work that because I I mean, you know what I'm saying? I might have, you know, I'm shan dated. I might have dated a, a dude when I was a teenager that had like maybe like 25 cars mm. and he would just, you know, it was like about flipping a car, you know, like restoring, as you said. Yeah. It's interesting. I got to write that down. And like we would like I had a cutlass when I was 15. Listen. Okay. Okay. I didn't even have a driver's license. Okay. Okay. I was a part of like a crew. Like it was me and like a bunch of boys. Like we were riding around after school. Like the thing in my city was like Buicks, Chevys, Oldsmobiles. Mm. We love a good Chevy. Now it's like we know our D boys because they the Chargers versus like an old school flashier, like an old school Chevy. That's what I need, right? I don't care about that. Our older folks had Cadillacs. My granddaddy Mm. still got a Cadillac. Cadillac. Yeah. Like, I think the reason why I spent so much time in cars is because 
it's a particular listening experience. Mm. You the way you listen to music in a car is is singular. It's it's distinct from the way you listen to a music in at home or at the club, you know? Yeah. There's something cinematic about driving around in an old school with a certain album on, you know? Would you say that it's a more, for you, is that a more interior experience? Is it more communal? Like, what about the impact of it feels different for That's you? That's a good question. I think it is interior. I think it, it allows, before I knew what that was doing, it was how my writer brain kicked in. Like it's, I remember I, a, a month ago, I took a two week drive across the country. Like I went all the way up to Indiana. I did the IE Writers Conference. Oh, Indiana. Drove Jesus. from Houston. Indiana is a and, place. Um, I went through, I came back and stayed in Memphis for a few days. And they, and I woke up one day and walked over to Bill Street and they had a car, a vintage car festival out. It was wild oh. since we talking about it. But someone I was talking to said oh my goodness you drove like that was like four days on the road he wasn't bored by yourself in the car and it's like no the expansiveness of it like I called people that I hadn't talked to for a long time because I couldn't do nothing else I'm always staying busy so like being in the car some people's I heard I've heard some writers talk about like something like doing the dishes Mm. it occupies your like physical body to where your mind can start turning and then you throw some music into that and I got a I got suddenly I got you know 20 poems in my head I love that I'm thinking about all the times that it does feel cinematic all the times that I've been driving and we end up doing and and also communal we end up doing karaoke we Mm. end up oh yeah yeah. when somebody's in the car with you when somebody else Mm. is in the car with you or even a way that you engage with like the tempo of somebody else's day because Mm. they got the aux cord and like Mm. what all of that turns into so you just have me you have me thinking about a lot in in regards to the differences and where how you consume music and then how that how that transforms the experience i will say that when i get into a car all of my friends is like joy you dj i know that's right you got the vibes i saw the playlist <laughs> for the essay i'm like i'm hip yeah I'm i hip. did like a four-hour playlist for it was for the bitter southerner it know? made me happy in, in horsepower i was super invested in and me and Brittany talked about this was thematically how tight that collection was I don't know that I've ever seen a symbol be woven in so consistently and stay fresh and not like lose its edge or lose its power as a symbol and I was kind of wondering about your process with that like what came first when you were approaching that collection like did you just realize like okay there's something that is recurring here and I want to I'm going to press deeper into that obsession or or how how did that work? So I was just writing poems for about eight years. Mm. I started, I mean, I've been writing literally since I was a little girl. Like I remember in first grade working on a short story. But in college, I started taking craft workshops and I took Nikki Finney's workshop. So that oh, in jealous. Frank, that was my, that's my, I'm that was jealous. my teacher. From, you hear me? Oh, yeah. That's who I started with. So Nikki Finney and Frank X Walker. And A that was about flex. when you I was me? like, Afro-Latin poets, shout out to the Afro-Latin poets of which I am a member. So I started writing poems, like folk, like really craft focused. I think I was on the slam team at University of Kentucky. You know, we went to Cupsy, all that, but like craft focused on the page poems when I was 20. 
Mm. And the earliest poem in the book is from that, from about that age. So I, and then my book came out when I was 31 and it got accepted when I was, it won the prize when I was 30. So that book was 10 years in the making, if Mm -hmm. we count like the earliest poem in the book. But for eight years, I was just writing poems. I even remember like people I thought of as my peers, you know, like Nate Marshall, Jose Olivares, Dinez, like they, they put out, they had like two, three, two books out. And I was sitting here like, you know, I ain't ready yet. I was just writing poems, writing poems. And I was like, sometimes I was like, sometimes it was, it was hard because people don't pay attention to you until you have a book to some degree, you know? Listen, the Um, emerging poet struggle is real. And I need to say that to all the poets out there who don't have a book yet. That's a thing. So, and I didn't do a chat book or anything like that. So I was just working on these poems for, you know, years and years. And then maybe in the last two years, when I was in the last two years of my MFA, the last two years of that that decade I'm talking about, I started to see that these poems belong together. So the poems were there first, and then I looked at them, and I was like, what are they talking about? Gotcha. The last poem I wrote for the book was Horsepower, the title poem. And I didn't have the title of the book. The titles, I had titles. They were, I laugh at them now when I see them. It's so funny. Ooh, but, wait, wait. What other <laughs> we get the potential? Yeah, no, well. absolutely not. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no. If you scroll like maybe four years back on Instagram, maybe you'll see one. But Four years back, that's a lot. But I wrote the poem. I titled the poem. I was walking across campus on my way to workshop my last year in MFA with this poem. That had everything in it. It had all the themes of the the manuscript I was carrying around. The cars, the horses, the the racial dynamics. Everything was in there. The mental fortitude, which I think of the last line of that poem as an artist poetic, poetica moment. Like, you know, like, but wait, I know the horses and their restless minds. That's a That's a poet thing, you know to have a restless mind. And so all of that was in that poem and I'm walking across campus and I'm just looking over the poem before a workshop. And I, and I said, Oh my God, this is the t- book title. Duh. Like, <laughs> so it was like, it was like that. It was like the very end when I was, it came together. It's like every, I built everything. I built the book. And then it just at the end, it kind of, I, I, I wrote all of the poems. I wrote all of the titles. And then suddenly when it was time, when they were everything was there and it uh it was like oh this is the book is when you reference your pending manuscript that we're excited for was that process similar or has this been a different process are we still in the process okay (laughs) can you talk about or it's okay if not but can you talk about what the process looks like now and if it's different it's 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 a lot quicker okay i don't know what exactly i learned in an mfa (laughs) But I think one thing I did come away with is like I'm able to identify problems quicker, mm-hmm. like at the craft level. I, I can understand quicker what a poem needs and like, but you never finally know how to write a poem. You just like That's get fair. into it. And you then, get the tools, but yeah, it's like. Yeah. Each each poem is a relationship and you have to figure out what that relationship needs. But that's happening quicker, I think. And which maybe that means like I communicate with myself better, you know. I love that as a as a construct. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like awareness. I was talking to this yesterday with my students for my catapult class because I have them the last week. We sort of went over a craft aspect every week. And then the last week I gave them a revision exercise and I had them read a writing off subject by Richard Hugo, where he talks about the triggering subject and the generator subject. And I like to use that as a revision exercise to see what is the thing that caused you to write this poem. And then now that you have a draft down, what do you see has been generated in the poem? What is it really about? Yeah, what's the poem really trying to say? Yeah. And I was just saying yesterday, or again, collaborative thinking, we were talking and riffing. And I say, you know, it's like kind of like really important to do this because you have an awareness of like, you think you know what you're getting at, but you're actually getting at something way more complex, mm -hmm. which is why you wrote a poem in the first place. And that self and your awareness as a poet directly contributes to your awareness of self. Yeah. You know, I think what I hear you saying is like, there's a way in which you're more intuitive and more interior than what you were before. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't know if I can get more interior. I think that a certain kind of living with a rich interiority is what leads you to being a poet in the first mm. place. And however, be, having a rich interior life doesn't mean that you you immediately understand how you're feeling. It just means you spend a lot of time in there, you know. Interesting. But I think writing a poem is what helps you make sense of the, the rich interior that you spend a lot of time in. So I love that too. So for you, the interiority is the experience, not the poem. The poem is its own thing outside the poem is not is not a part of the interiority i think how can i say like so recently something didn't work out with someone like in a romantic context mm -hmm. and i remember in the beginning they were saying oh i really liked how they understood what it meant that i was a poet because sometimes you tell people oh i'm a poet sometimes i'm like do i want to tell them listen <laughs> because you can get never any mind, manner cause... of responses <laughs> it's not like a shamefulness about it it's just like this person is going to tell me who they are by how they understand that yeah and that might cut this thing short <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this person said oh you're kind of like a you're kind of like out of time you're like a a uh, uh, present day philosopher. Mm. That's what like, these fans say. That's very flattering. Thank you. <laughs> then they sort of rejected me for the same reasons. They they were like, you know, you are awkward. You're not coming out of yourself. Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, what did, what the fuck do you think we do? <laughs> what you think philosophers be into? <laughs> Which, yeah, we think it, motherfucker. Like, you know, which is not usually, I don't have a lot of practice doing that out loud mm -hmm. with somebody else. That's going to take a level of intimacy I've never reached with another person. I would love to, but it ain't happened yet. So I think as a, the reason why I'm a poet is always because I've lived in the interior more sometimes than the, like, for example, the social, mm. like even as a child, like, which isn't the same thing as being outside. I've always been outside and all the, and I mean that in, you know, and I, I use outside in all of its capaciousness, you know, outside in nature and outside a la Megan the Stallion. You know uh -huh. what I mean? I'm a convict but, today. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been outside, but I've also always been inside, you know, 
And so I think as a result, I'm less quick to speak out loud what I'm thinking and more quick to like put that in a poem or use a poem to try to feel like, I don't know what I'm, what I feel at first. I have to write a poem to know. Mm. It's like a, it's like a, y'all ever seen them expressways in LA or even here that are just like, you look at them and there's just all kinds of loops and they stacked on top of each other yeah, and everything. That shit stressed me out. I'm not going to lie. That's <laughs> my rich emotional interior. I need a poem to like pull one of those, you know. Uh, to kind of like unspool them. To unspool them, yes. To unspool things, yeah. Uh, one one tender thread, you know, before I can even go to somebody and be like, this is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. I love that. I find that so fascinating. I think I have an opposite process, so I think it's so yeah. interesting to of me. Of course, yeah, yeah. I'm talking, of course, I'm talking about myself. Even if I'm saying we, I just like to say we, because somebody out there might. Be no, it's resonant. No, that's yeah. why I'm like, I am fascinated because I I think mm. I know how I feel all the time. <laughs> mm. It's really mm. weird. And then I think I'm baffled when I'm like, wait, you don't you don't know how you feel? Mm. Where I'm like, I'm experiencing I'm I'm in here. I'm in mm. these feelings. Do I know what they are? No, no but I'm but a journal. But baby. <laughs> I'm feeling some things. I'm gonna write the I'm a I'm gonna write it down. <laughs> Where is- <laughs> And I need Listeners, somebody that's you can't patient. see this, but yeah. <laughs> me and Joy right here. here. Ajane's <laughs> doing the Usher, watch this. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I need, and that's why it's going to take somebody. Is your husband patient? I would say so. I would say he's grown patient. Yes, he's, he's very patient now. So the love and dedication came first, right? Yes. Okay, see. I feel the feelings, I don't. The, po- the feelings don't go in the poems. That, that's what used to be my struggle. So I know exactly how I feel. And that's exactly why I'm not telling y'all hoes. It would not, it would not really? be. <laughs> really. So I think for a long time, my writing was more communal. Because I'm like, I don't, I think my interior is something I'm very like precious over. Now, what you mean? Unpack that communal. Oh, hold on a sec. Because y'all see, I'm, I I was a journalist. So I'll sw- switch into <laughs> interviewer <laughs> mode really quick. It happens so fast. Right now, like- now, explain that. <laughs> No, but I would, because when you say, so you don't put your feelings into the poem, is that what you said? I think I had to grow to be more vulnerable in my work. Mm. I think. Is the other side of that, what you were saying with the communal, are you implying, because this is an interesting thing, I like to talk about this. Are you implying that your poems in the in the communal, in the we, take a little a more of what people might be talking about when they say political kind of approach? I I don't know that I could say that that's like an intentional thing. I think when I think about the communal or the we, I'm talking about like my black, I'm talking about mm-hmm. the girls I grew up with, I'm talking yeah. about my granny, you know what I'm saying, my aunties. Okay, okay. I feel like and duty I suppose runs in a way that mm-hmm. I feel like duty runs duty mm-hmm. duty in class, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think that those but are even the class. I feel like is duty. It's like it's like who mm-hmm. you feel a duty to and you That's feel right, a duty who I feel to, to. Yeah, who, yeah like I think and not in a bad way yeah for yeah, sure but yeah and I think those are also like the folks I'm most protective over so then that's but for me my interior is a very is a whole nother locked box that I know and I understand like me and my husband are in a decade and I'm just not <laughs> Was you saying this the other day to me on Twitter? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think you said that to me. We have just now unlocked a new level of of vulnerability. It's been great, but... I'm like, how do people do that? Because I'm like, immediately, very immediately, like, you got to get intimate with me. That's why I'm single. (laughs) I said a thing, I don't remember what it was, and he was like, I think there are feelings underneath there. Can we talk about it? Mm -hmm. I was like, no, actually, Mm -hmm. I'm not a mood. So, talk to you about it when I want to. (laughs) Yeah. But I know the feelings. I think that unpeeling is... is... Mm -hmm. 
difficult for me and is a thing that again that I think I protect very heavily so my writing had to grow to be able to be more vulnerable than Mm -hmm. what it was Mm -hmm. I think an awareness as a poet is connected to an awareness of self Mm -hmm. and if you sort of have been socialized not to be vulnerable or not to unpack how you feel and but you are supposed to be strong and so I just like wanted to bring that up because I think sometimes the reason poems can be bad is because they're not bringing the vulnerability. I think every time I hear interiority talked about, it's always femmes. And not just that, but then when I do see anything that's doing, and this I'm speaking very generally, obviously. Obviously, this is not every whatever. But when I do see it, it's like it will expose itself in like love poems almost or heartbreak poems. When I think about who cishet, Black men frequently feel if they're going to have any type of interiority, who it's with, and it is with them. It's like a separate space. Yes, I saw that. I, that, that felt like the la- the latest Kendrick album to me. Mm. I, and I haven't even listened to it. It was like all this yelling, like cussing, and then there was like the one nice, pretty song for ladies. But listen, <laughs> they love, to- <laughs> all that they love it for the ladies. <laughs> Another thing that I've noticed and why I bring this up too, I'm almost right exclusively, which I'm I'm having to check myself a little bit about, about black men. Like my father is one of my recurring topics, but also a lot of the epigraphs in the new project. And so I'm looking at some of those things. So I care deeply about black men, but what I, what I think my ire is really directed at like the sort of white liberal curation of these things and like which poems get picked as political over others. Uh And like those Mm -hmm. poems are the poems, the Uh angry yelling lack of interior vulnerability poems is the poems that white people white liberal readers and editors see as black and political poems. Yeah. Or black, just black poems. Listen. Just black. Okay. That's a black so, poem. <laughs> yeah. We got to take that, you know. But if it's if it's a black film writing about cars in Detroit mm-hmm. and braids down to their ass, that's not Listen. political. That's not black. Earlier, I want to double back to something you said earlier because we were referencing the ways that we think about interiority. And you said something about everything being outside. And I said, I'm going to come back to that. (laughs) So this is me coming back to it and thinking about the ways that your work embodies place and wondering when you choose to write about. So, for example, when you're talking about like Kentucky, there are poems that I felt like, okay, this is about nature. But then there are other poems where I'm like, okay, this is very industrial. Then there are other poems where I'm like, okay, this is about people. But all of that is outside to me. Like, how do you read that? I was thinking about place earlier, too, when Ajane was asking me, like, how the book came together. And I was thinking, well, I use this phrase in it when talking about metaphor called the autobiography of sight. Which is just, come on. And, you know, the idea behind that being like, we bring, the metaphor reveals the way that we see things. Like the kind of metaphor we choose is like, that's from a certain background experience. And so place, so for me, place is like made up mostly of image. I'm also thinking, this is just going to be kind of a medley of thoughts. 
I'm also thinking, because you invoke in Detroit, I always say this, Louisville is the most segregated city in the country after Detroit, Milwaukee, and Cleveland, in that order, by the way. And all of those cities, too, are like industrial cities that most of them are from a part of the Rust Belt, except for Louisville. And all of them, and Louisville's the only southern city, but all of them are des- are terminal cities from the Great Migration, where black people came up to do factory work. So industrial is an important word there. And so you were asking me, you know, to that you see all of that in the outside. And so like that goes into the sort of my interest in the ecological, like black ecology. And that's like the new the new uh, manuscript is not dealing with a particular place like Horsepower did. Like Horsepower was obviously set in Louisville, which is, as you said, it's a southern, but it's also it's country, but it's also a city. It's nature, but it's also industrial. So it's like, you know, it's it doesn't know what it is, really. There's this Detroit writer, Frank D. Rashad who came up with this term called literary mapping, which another writer, Allison Patini David, talked about in her review of my book. She brought this up because he has this, he comes up with this concept of literary mapping where writers will write. And I think like one of the people he was thinking about was like Philip Levine, but also thinking about like Alpha Michael Weaver will write. And in their work, you can see a map of these places that they're writing about. And one of the, in earlier you said, oh, black people are kind of reinventing place. And I think that's because we have different maps of these places than the sort of the dominant narrative of a place like our maps. One of the reviews of my book I really love said, I think it was actually Allison's review said like, you know, the, the dominant narrative of the, of the city is this tourist city is the city that hosts the most famous horse race in the world. So Churchill Downs is the center of everything. But I bring in, I sort of move it to the periphery this is like kind of a paraphrase of the review in horsepower and bring like West Louisville, which is black Louisville and South Louisville, which is working class Louisville, immigrant Louisville into the center, like out, like away from the periphery. So that like it remaps the city in, in a way that it presents like a new narrative of this place. Yeah, we actually we have one final question before you move into our break. Mm-hmm. And something that we love to ask folks is if someone wanted to understand your work well right they wanted to be a student of joy priest they want to know you like front to back what three people across the board what three artists would they need to engage with oh goodness oh man three people across any genre if they needed to know me mm-hmm. first of all the poets are can i just tell y'all the first three poets that inform my yeah. Who I am as a poet. Yeah. Were Sharon Olds, mm-hmm. Patricia Smith, mm-hmm. and Terrence Hayes. That's a lineup right there. That is a lineup. Listen. First off, I want to comment that Patricia Smith on everybody's list. And I think <laughs> I just want to make sure she's getting her flowers forever because the way she has informed everybody. And I think it's because, well, one of the reasons that might be is because Patricia is the first one the Don Dada to like make that really uh, honest transition from, Mm -hmm. you know, the oral context, the oral tradition to the page. But they got to know. And still be occupying both, you know, like still good at both. That ain't even well said enough for her. But, you know, a lot of us, I think it, uh, 
And we talking about black people. We were in rap groups in high school. Mm-hmm. We read poems at open <laughs> mics. And then we started slamming. And then and then we started we maybe I didn't read poetry books when I was a kid. I read novels and science books, like some nature books and shit. Like I wasn't I was I didn't read poetry. You know, my favorite books when I was younger was like, I know why Cage Bird sings and Beloved. You know, Man, I read Zane and listened to Trina. I ain't know nothing about oh the fucking Oh my God, Sister Soldier. <laughs> listen, I read the code Baby, of Baby, I was 12 <laughs> turning the pages. <laughs> I came busting out of my Ajene mama's said, big what? Yes. Ajane said there was no Pornhub. There was Sister Soldier. There was <laughs> Sister Soldier. You but couldn't listen, tell me nothing. The code is whenever I read that annually, there was an annual reading of that book. Okay. <laughs> but grown. I didn't read poetry books until I was in college. And those were the first three poets that I read. And like Patricia, I I heard her work. And then I found out she had books. And that led me into reading poetry books. So I think that's probably why that happens a lot. Because we come out of these other traditions and then we go into writing it. And then we we don't bore you at readings. Amen. Amen. I, <laughs> what Angel said. Well, Angel, listen, you already know that tweet is call me hip hop. Call me whatever you want to call me to make yourself feel better about the fact that no one falls asleep when I read my poems. Yeah. That is stapled in my scary. soul. <laughs> okay, dope. Let's take a break. Okay. So we are going to move into a game called Fast Punch. The way this is going to work is you're going to tell us if you want to be an optimist or a pessimist. We will give you different categories and you will tell us the best or worst thing in that category. This game is meant to be fast. So let's start with, do you want to be an optimist or a pessimist? An optimist. We love that for you. Okay. Best poetic form. Best poetic form Mm -hmm. is the... Gazelle. Mm. Best song to listen to while writing. I listen to Blue and Green, Miles Davis, and John Coltrane. Best snack. Sardines, boneless and skinless. Yes, love that. Best type of car. 1988 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. Best dead white poet. John Keats. Ooh. And lastly, best place in Louisville. The best place in Louisville doesn't exist anymore. It was Ear Ecstasy, this record store in the Highlands Mm. in the 90s. Mm. Yes, we love that. Joy, would you do us the honor of closing us out with a poem? I would. I will. The poem is called The Black Outside. We brought the blues, the voices of the field, into the commemorative big house. We carry seeds from home in our hair like lice. We wore blue lilies, ecosystems, above our ears. We came into this world, but were not of it. Of the refuse, but not the refined. The ritual of wormwood, but not waste. Here's to the rot in us, which would otherwise be abundance, if we could be otherwise. Which would otherwise be alive, if we could otherwise be. The way our feet hover spectral among the foliage. The way we recognize one another across the long centuries inside without the right language and names. We brought the blues. We carried them between our ears, in from outside. The voices of our dead alive in our hair like seeds. We survived spectral 
Outside the Constitution, we are otherwise abundant. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. We brought the blues into this world, but refused to be of it. We went missing, went marine, marooned in grief's aquatic caves, ate the dirt and the lice. Among the foliage, there is no language of waste. There is no rot. We commemorate the ecosystems that would otherwise be. The centurion worm wearing the field. Oh, beloved, I hear you outside singing so clear my ritual names. Wow. Shout out to Bernardo Wade, the editor of the interview, the big homie that saved my life. And I'm glad to be in conversation with that that poet so look out for for that poet's poems thank you for that poem Mm. thank you so much for being here joy it was such a pleasure thank you so much way to wreck us on the way out best talking to joy gave me so much stuff to think about i'm especially kind of stuck on the surrealism and the idea of the black experience just constantly being this moment of surrealism and is this real and is this a joke and the absurdity of the reality of some of the experiences that we have like listen that's that's about to stick with me for i don't know how long (laughs) for all we know best we living in a completely different universe right now it's a whole author sphere i'm curious curious for you if you were going to have a theory any kind of theory around blackness around work what would it be like what would be the theory that's like guiding your life oh my god oh too many I feel like right now is torn between hair culture and rap culture Mm. but for today I'm gonna say studying rap as a form of affirmation and like an official therapeutic form very on brand (laughs) <laughs> love that listen that's fair I was finna saying I am healthy I am wealthy. <laughs> I know that's right so when I think about ways that I get grounded in myself it's almost always through music and I know that rap has like this you know negative stigma around the culture quote-unquote whatever but rap is I think where I turn first to feel most grounded in myself and to feel most like okay you a bad bitch like you you got this And so that's what I return to when I want to feel centered. When I want to ground my kids, I quote them a line. When Justin wants to make me smile, he quotes me a line. So I don't know. I just think that there's a way that rap could be studied as a look at how Black folks make themselves feel good and how Black folks find a way to affirm themselves even with everything happening in the world. I love that. What about you, Bess? So mine would definitely be some form of thinking about what books or what writing processes would not exist without the faith practices of Black writers and without their fervent attempts to access the spiritual realm. I was reading Bell Hooks' Remembered Rapture, and Mm. she talks about how in spaces of academia and spaces of art, especially if you're a woman, how it's you're not taken seriously if you name faith as one of the things that like makes your work possible. And it made me think a lot about it's not the same thing, but the way when we talk about black writers, how like they're always like raw and like <laughs> urgent and this urgent voice in the space. And we never talk about 
their craft practices. And I think for me, faith is an element of craft. And so I think not being able to take faith seriously as something that opens the door for for work to happen, not taking it seriously as an academic theoretical craft practice is also a reduction of the work. Like Alice Walker talks about how the color purple doesn't happen if she doesn't access the spiritual realm. I think that also ties back in a little bit with what we were talking about earlier with Joy, right? Like how we have to often imagine ourselves outside of ourselves. Yes. And how much of that is just a spiritual work. Yes. being able to, you know, leave our grounded reality and tap into like, okay, what faith things can I imagine? What things are not here that I have to call in or what things are not currently possible that I have to make possible? Yeah. And, and not just that, also thinking about what theoretical frameworks or what craft things we have to adapt for our work, because they're not <laughs> like the way you enjoy. <laughs> We're talking about that with the pastoral, like, I don't know that folks are checking for the evidence of Black folks' faith practices. Very on brand, best. I love that. We do stay on brand. That's one thing about us. <laughs> That's one thing about we gonna us. We're going to keep it consistent, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Why don't we thank some folks and get out of here so maybe we can start working on some theory essays? Beautiful. Let's do it. In the spirit of being here in Houston, I just want to thank Uber drivers in cities not from where I'm from because I feel like they have the best conversation once they realize that you're not from their city and they also give the best food recommendations so shout out to Uber drivers shout out to Uber drivers in the spirit of being in Houston shout out to our waiter whose name I don't remember but he was so kind and he brought us the most banging fries they was like smothered in some kind of risky <laughs> situation you know what I'm talking about I do they, 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 they were dope <laughs> yeah it, it was good it was really good thank you to kindred stories for being a phenomenal black owned bookstore and indulging us as we went outside our budgets (laughs) but the books on migration my god listen my gosh to get to get the good stuff to get the good work and we just want to give a special shout out to Nathan and the amazing staff at Baron Studios, the Poetry Foundation, Itzel Blancas, Yadami Noriega, Elon Sloan, Sin Pim, and Ambi Productions. Like, rate, and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, y'all, it's a wrap. Until next time. 